0: Thank you, John. Let's pray. Father, just like with Paul in this story, may the, the scales fall from our eyes. And may we see the truth and beauty of your word this morning together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Andrew, a pastor here on staff. It's great to be with you. And if you've, uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been doing a little study on the church um, as we've moved through the whole Bible in a year and open here. Uh, thinking, as we've been talking about the church the last several weeks, you know, where it comes from, how it started answering questions like that. And last week, we took a look at the beginning of the book of Acts, which is really, the book of Acts, a history of the early church written by Luke. And Luke writes, basically, he writes this book to answer the question, how does God build his church, how does he build his people after Jesus is gone, after Jesus has ascended? And this is not re- just a religious question. Uh, as we've said before in this series a few times, historians of all stripes, of all backgrounds, wrestle with the rise of the Christian church worldwide because it was un- it's unprecedented in history. Uh, how did it happen? What was the, the power of the church that allowed it to go from this obscure Jewish sect of a dozen people to the religion that would transform the Roman Empire and, the, and then the world? And the simple answer that you get from the book of Acts for how this happened, what this power is, is the simple answer is conversion. Conversion. Christianity converts people. You see, the early church, people at this time, people didn't just sign sign up or join the club. Uh, They were converted to the faith. They were converted. And Christian uh, conversion is one of the most profound changes that can happen to a person. It's incredibly powerful, not only for the person who's experiencing it for, for all the people around them. And, and you see this on, on the large scale throughout history. So as best we can tell, Christianity grew from about 1,000 people in AD 40 to, over, to about 34 million in AD 350. This is, I mean, growth like that is unprecedented in history. But Christianity uh, doesn't just convert lots of people, it converts all kinds of people, people that should have nothing in common, people who are... Uh, Social or ethnic or political enemies, people who are searching for truth, people who really aren't searching for truth. Christianity converts people all over the world. In fact, there is no global center for Christianity, and and people have have observed this throughout Christian history. There's no global center. Every every other major religion in the world has a a global center, a place, an ethnic group, a country uh, that makes up the vast majority of of the members of that religion. Christianity doesn't have that. It's all over the place. The Americas, China, India, Africa, Southeast Asia, and it's growing. And this, in many ways, is one of the the most powerful things about God's church and God's good news. It converts people in a way and in a number that no other social movement in history has come close to. So what is conversion and and what's so powerful about it? Well, no book, uh, no story, I should say, in the book of Acts describes the power of conversion better than Acts chapter 9, which we just heard read. And this is the story of how Saul of Tarsus, the religious teacher and persecutor of Christianity, becomes Paul the Apostle, Christianity's most profound thinker and theologian and missionary. And his story of conversion, though it has many unique elements that we shouldn't try to apply universally, is a kind of pattern for what conversion is and how it works. And Paul himself understood it this way. He says in one of his letters, uh, First Timothy he says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I Paul am the foremost but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life so Paul says I am an example learn and study my story there's something about Paul's story that each of us can relate to when we think about conversion and several principles come from this story this morning and that's what we're going to spend our time on. But before we dive in just a little background on this guy Saul of Tarsus. If you if you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. It's the first book after the four Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 9. And we see right away in verse 1 that Saul is on his way to Damascus. And the reason he's going to Damascus is to persecute Christians. And you see back in chapter 7 of Acts, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, is stoned to death in Jerusalem. He was speaking out against the religious leaders of Jerusalem, accusing them of killing the Messiah by crucifying Jesus. And so on the spot, they they killed him as a a blasphemer. And then in in chapter 8, verse 1, Luke points out that while all that's happening to Stephen, while he's dying, Saul is there approving of the execution. He's standing right there. And right then, Saul becomes the chief persecutor of the early church, and he went. You know, Luke says he goes house by house, imprisoning Christians left and right. So Christians began fleeing Jerusalem for nearby cities for safety, cities like Damascus. But so Paul, you know, Paul figures that out, and he so he goes, he gets approval from his boss, the high priest, to go to the synagogue in Damascus and begin arresting more Christians there and bringing them back to Jerusalem. So beginning in chapter 9, we find Saul is on his way to Damascus. And and this hints at the first thing we learn about conversion. It's subtle, but it's so important. It is so important for us to hear as modern people. And it's this. Everyone needs to be converted. Everyone needs to be converted. Saul, and and from now on, I'm just going to call him Paul before I start confusing myself. Okay, so Paul, Paul was the most religious person you could ever meet at this time. He was part of a group called the Pharisees, if you've heard of them before. Some of the most religious and devout and zealous people in all of Israel. These people kept the Old Testament law better than anyone. They were upstanding citizens. They were law-abiding people. And Paul, in particular, was an up-and-comer in this group. I mean, he was the leader of this group. He was one of their best and brightest leaders. And Paul, believe it or not, Paul was one of those people, if, if you were a parent... In first century Israel, you'd want your kids to grow up and be like him. He was a man of integrity and passion and direction. And there was hardly a more religious and moral person in the empire at the time. But he needed to be converted. That's the first thing you see in this story. And if he needed to be converted, then everyone needs to be converted. And we need to hear this because there's an increasingly common attitude in, in, in discussions of faith or spirituality that the whole point of any faith is to make you a better person, to live a moral life. And that is not what Christianity is about. Because if that were true, Paul did not need to be converted. Paul was more moral, probably, than anyone in this room. He was certainly more moral than any pastor in this room. That much I will, I will personally vouch for. But Paul needed to be converted because Christianity is not about moral transformation. It's not first about moral transformation. It includes that, but that's not what it is. Paul's problem wasn't moral, it wasn't philosophical, it was relational. He did not know and follow and believe in Jesus. And that is why when Jesus appears and speaks to Paul in verse 4, Jesus does not say, Saul, Saul, you need to clean up your act. Saul, Saul, I heard that you, I heard you take the Lord's name in vain five minutes ago. You need to stop doing that. I mean, whatever legalistic rule you can throw in here. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you reject me? Why won't you acknowledge me? Right? This, is, this is relational language from Jesus to Paul. And you see some people are good people and, and they make all the right choices and they stay on the right side of the law and they run their businesses and their families well and some people are bad people, they're immoral, they make bad choices. And some people are religious people and, and they're spiritual people and there are other people who could care less about religion and spirituality and some people come to church every week and some people come to church only because someone dragged them here, but everyone, all of them need to be converted because everyone needs to know Jesus, everyone. And this touches on something profound about the difference between Christian conversion and every other kind of conversion because the power of Christian conversion and really the power of the gospel and the church has been in identifying the fundamental human problem. Every every religion is trying to address the fundamental human problem. And our biggest problem is not that we are immoral rule breakers, that we are. It's that we are alone. We are estranged. We are separated from our Creator. And Jesus' life and death and resurrection is God's response to that estrangement. Jesus takes care of our sin. He does. He pays for the price for our rebellion on the cross. That's what the crucifixion is. But he does it to make relationship with him possible again. Because that is the problem. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Don't you know that everything you're doing, all of your morals, all of your knowledge, all of your zeal, doesn't solve any of your real problems? Your rules don't solve any of your insecurities, your doubts, or your fears. You need to be converted. And if Paul needs to be converted, then we need to be converted. So my first question is, have we been? Now some of you are here this morning and you you may even know you're not converted, just depending on where you are. And I, I want you to hang on there for a second. We'll come back to that. But most of us here probably at least think we've been converted, but really ask the question. Have you been or do you still rely more on your morals and your right living and your reputation to define who you are? And you see, part of Paul's journey, part of, part of what he had to do was look back on his spiritual body of work before this moment. And it's impressive. Paul's been a very religious person up to this point. And he had to look back on that and, really, and realize it was a complete waste of his time. It's a complete waste. All of his morality, his integrity, his accomplishments, all of it, Paul says in Philippians 3, is rubbish compared to having Christ. He says, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's his summary of his life before Jesus loss. Do we feel that way about ourselves? Do we look at our skills and our accolades and our reputation and count those things as loss because we've been converted because we know Jesus? Listen, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're raised in the church, you weren't raised in the church, it doesn't matter. You need to be converted. But you can't just decide to be converted. This is our second point. You can't just decide. This leads to our second point. Everyone needs to be converted, right? And everyone needs to encounter the risen Jesus to be converted. And for Paul, this encounter was pretty obvious, right? (laughs) Verse 3 of chapter 9. Now, as Paul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And it's like, bam, right there. Paul meets the risen Jesus. Now, Paul, we, we often don't think about this. Paul probably knew Jesus before he was crucified, or at the very least, he knew of him. So, Paul and Jesus are, are really close to the same age. And given Paul's religious training in Jerusalem and the likelihood that Paul spent a lot of time at the temple, especially during holidays. Uh, it's very likely that Paul probably saw Jesus. Uh, he maybe even heard him teach, maybe even heard him preach, maybe even interacted with him. We, I mean, we just don't know. But regardless of all of that, Paul still became the chief enemy of early Christianity. You see, it wasn't enough that Paul knew Jesus lived. That's not conversion. Conversion is not acknowledging Jesus was a real historical figure. Okay, Paul already knew that. Paul was not truly converted until he realized not that Jesus once lived, but that Jesus was still alive. He was risen from the dead. And when Paul encountered the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, that's when everything changed for him. The rest of the book of Acts is really just documenting the implications of this moment in the life of Paul. He'll become the main character in in a lot of ways. Now, There are two noteworthy aspects of Paul's encounter with Jesus that I want to spend some time on. And these are things that we almost know and are a necessary part of of everyone's conversion. And the first is that Paul wasn't converted until he considered the evidence. He had to think about it. Let me explain what I mean. Paul encountered the risen Jesus, but that doesn't mean that he believed in him right away. He had to think about it. And, And interestingly, Luke tells the story of Paul's conversion three times in the book of Acts. Three times. First year in chapter 9, and then again in chapter 22, and then again in chapter 26. Now, why would he do that? What, 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 uh, What about Paul's conversion here is so worth repeating, is so powerful that it needs to be in there three times? Well, in Luke's mind, this story that we're looking at has incredible apologetic force because Paul had every reason to disbelieve what he saw that day, but he converted anyway. To convert to the faith he was opposed to would be embarrassing for him. It would make him a target for the Jews, which it does. And it would completely ruin his life as he then understood it. It would ruin his life. His career would be over. But Paul was so intellectually compelled by the evidence of Jesus' resurrection and lordship, he could not deny what happened, even though he probably wanted to. Ever thought about that? He didn't want to believe this. So Luke, make sure that you don't read his story and miss this point. Paul encountered Jesus on the Damascus road. It happened. Now, we hear that, we, and we often look at stories like this, and we think, well, sure, if I, I'd have faith and convert if Jesus showed up on my commute to work. <laughs> this isn't fair, right? Anyone would believe in Jesus if this happened to them. Now, but hang on and really think about that. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They would not. Paul, after this happened, think about it, could have arrived at Damascus dazed and confused and simply said, wow, that was really bad heat stroke, guys. I've been, th- I've been thinking about Jesus way too much. Or, you know, oh man, I need a sh- is there a shrink here in Damascus? I've been stressed out lately. Or, you know, I knew breakfast tasted funny and now I, you know, I'm feeling the effects of it. I mean, whatever it was, he could have said, he could have explained this away. He could have. And you think about it, if you don't think that's true, then you don't know yourself very well because we do this all the time. And uh, I'll throw myself under the bus. When I, when I hear a, a, a noise in my car, right, a, a noise on my engine that doesn't sound right, do you think I stop and pull over and pop the hood and look around? No. I turn up the radio. I don't want to know what's wrong with the car. Right? The, the con- I don't want to know. The, co- the consequences are too terrible. I don't want to know. And I start thinking, I can't afford to pay for this car, and I ignore it. I mean, I wouldn't know what I was doing anyway, but I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to know. And, and how much more Paul, liable to lose everything, everything, how much more likely would he be to have to explain this away any way he could, but instead he examined the evidence and concluded that Jesus rose. And if he rose, then he is Lord. And if he is Lord, then Paul's life had to change. And when we encounter the risen Jesus today, and we do it primarily through his word or while speaking to a Christian friend or family member or encountering incredible beauty in the created world or in our doubts about the choices that we've made, when those moments come, examine the evidence then and there. Don't ignore it. Don't suppress the truth. Think about it. Follow the truth of what you're experiencing, and you will find Jesus at the end of it. Conversion doesn't happen until you think about Christianity. You have to think about it. It's not just an emotional process. It's an intellectual one. That's the first thing we should note about Paul's encounter with Jesus. He had to examine the evidence. The second thing, Paul's encounter with Jesus, was a process that will look different for everyone. It's a process that will look different. Now, you know, on first reading, you're probably thinking, Andrew, you didn't even read the story. This is not a process of Paul's life. (laughs) There's one, you know, one minute Paul is the, is the chief persecutor of the church, and the next he's the best preacher of Jesus the world's ever known. Okay, this is instantaneous change. And to be sure, Paul's conversion is very dramatic and very unique and very linked to his, his unique calling. And so we can't push it too hard as a pattern for our own lives. But, but in another retelling of Paul's conversion of this story in Acts 26, Paul gives even more detail about what happened on the Damascus Road in that retelling. And there, Paul says that Jesus said to him, here's how, Paul says, and when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So Jesus, you know, what in the world is Jesus talking about? <laughs> What's a goad? Well, a goad is, a, is basically a shepherding tool. It's a sharp stick used to prod animals away from danger, back onto the right track, right? You protect them from a cliff or a ledge or or things like that. You prod them to get them back on the right track. And Jesus is saying, Paul, long before this moment, I have been goading you, long before this moment. I've been preparing you for this. I've been working in your life to get your attention, and you've been ignoring me, and it has made your life terrible. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. That's what he means. You see, Jesus is already, if you think about that, he is already at work in our lives before we encounter him. Every person in this room right now, Jesus is working in your life. He's active in your life. And no one's conversion is sudden. There's always preparation happening. There's always a process. And it's hard to know exactly what that looked like in Paul's life in particular. But we can make a guess because we all all have these things in common. Maybe Paul struggled with guilt about who he was about how in his heart of hearts he knew he was not a good person, that he lived a double life. He was one person on the outside and he was another person on the inside. Right? Does that sound familiar to anyone? Or maybe he had serious doubts and fears. He had doubts about his ability to handle life or fears about getting hurt or being abandoned by family and friends. He had fears of failure. Right? Anyone here have fears of failure? Or maybe he had pain and loss in his life that just wouldn't go away. He couldn't get rid of it. No matter how hard he tried, it was eating him inside. There were answers he needed he couldn't find. There was comfort and peace that he was looking for that wasn't there. And he couldn't, he couldn't get it. To, he, you know, keeping the law didn't help. Praying it away didn't help. You see, God uses hard things. He uses painful things in our lives to get our attention to make us open to new answers and to a new encounter with Jesus. He's always preparing us. And the more you ignore those things, your doubts, your fears, your pains, your questions, the worse it gets. That was Paul's experience because they're intended to drive you to Jesus. And by the way, that doesn't stop after you convert. You can still kick against God's work in your life after you're a Christian. Now, that may be difficult for some of us to hear, that God uses pain to get our attention. But keep in mind, this, this is a shepherding tool. This is not an instrument of torture. This is not pain for pain's sake. This is pain for your sake. This is to protect you from greater harm. And do you know what that means when you really think about it? It means that the God of the universe is working in your life, whether you know him or not, whether you want to know him or not. He is working in your life to get your attention because he loves you so much. That's why he is doing it. And that is profound. And when Jesus talks to Paul, we often miss this. He says his name twice. He says, Saul, Saul. And when we hear that in our in our English-American context, we think uh, that, that means exasperation, right? Or you're tired of someone. You're tired of putting up with them. Like Jesus is shaking his head. Saul, Saul. When are you gonna when are you gonna? When are you going to get it? That's not what it meant back then. To repeat a name twice was a very personal, longing way to talk to someone. It wasn't said when you were tired of dealing with someone. It was said when from the very bottom of your heart, you wanted someone to listen to you. Like when you warn a friend or a loved one or a child that what they are about to do is bad for them. It comes from a place of a profound love and care. And Paul heard that. In that moment, he heard it. Paul understood in this moment that though he was the most ardent skeptic, he was the most violent persecutor, he was the chief offender of the Lord of the universe, Jesus was still pursuing him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Don't you know that I love you, that I've been in your life already? Don't you know that I'm I'm working to woo you to myself? And when you begin to see the circumstances of your life, through that lens, through the lens of God's love and care and pursuit of you, the power of conversion is there. I can change lives like nothing else can, because Jesus doesn't just want to meet you. That's necessary for conversion, but that's not all. He doesn't just want to meet you. He wants to change you, and this is our third principle from Paul's conversion. Everyone needs to be converted. Everyone needs to to meet the risen Jesus to be converted, and now everyone is given a new purpose when they are converted. You're given a new purpose in life. And one of the most powerful parts of Paul's conversion, and no doubt one of the reasons Luke puts it in his book, is the radical new purpose that, life, that Paul's life has after he meets Jesus. And you see it right away in his, in his story. If you look at verse 5, after Jesus asks Paul why he's persecuting him, Paul says, who are you? <laughs> and Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. So Paul meets Jesus, and Jesus immediately just gives him orders. He says, get up, go into town. I'll be in touch. And Paul, just like that, just like that, the purpose of his life has changed forever. The man who was going to Damascus to end Jesus' church, the mission of his life was to wipe these people off the face of the planet, is now sent by Jesus into Damascus to become the most catalytic leader in church history. And Paul will become one of the the primary ways God's church spreads from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Acts begins in Jerusalem with Peter. It ends with Paul in Rome. The church spreads out and out and out. And the whole book is about Paul's radically new purpose in life after he meets Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, part of the way you know you've really met him is he immediately starts telling you what to do. That's because he doesn't just want to meet you, he wants to change you. He, he takes everything you are, all your gifts, your flaws, your relationships, your doubts, your questions, your, your career, your family, everything, and he turns them toward his purposes. And really the rest of the Christian life, the rest of the Christian life is about learning to submit to that direction, to give him access to everything because he becomes the very center he becomes the very purpose and the meaning of your existence and you hold nothing back that's what a mature christian does and when you've truly accepted who he is your life your priorities your values will change and that is one of the most powerful truths about christian conversion and the church throughout history because when people change when they really change when the whole purpose and outlook of their lives change it shocks people if you've ever it's it's powerful stuff And nowhere is that more evident in the Christian witness than when believers are persecuted, when they suffer for their faith and they persevere anyway. Because only a radically new purpose in life allows you, empowers you to do that. And we prayed earlier for the persecuted church, and that's a good thing to do. But you know, they're praying for us because the church is thriving under persecution across the globe, and they understand better than we probably do that suffering is just a part of being a Christian. Part of what it means to convert is to convert to a life of risk and suffering and maybe even persecution. Paul would, if he's any example, he would go on in his life to suffer greatly for his faith. But here's how he describes it. He counted it as a, he calls it a light and momentary affliction compared to the weight of glory being prepared for him. How does does anyone get the power to approach suffering and hardship like this? And the answer is, from the book of Acts, is conversion. For Paul, it's this moment in the Damascus Road. It changes everything. Yes, this new purpose includes suffering, but it also includes an incredible power to endure. When we convert to Christianity, we get a power and a purpose from Jesus that transcends our suffering, transcends our loss and our heartache. doesn't mean we don't experience those things. We have a power and a purpose that transcends them. And the converted life has incredible power, as Paul shows. But you cannot live the converted life alone. And Paul's story teaches this as well, and this is our final point. Everyone needs the church when they are converted. You need the church. And Jesus could, if you think about it, Jesus could have done anything with Paul after his encounter on on the Damascus Road. He literally could have picked Paul up. He does this with someone else in the book of Acts, by the way. He literally could have picked him up in a whirlwind and transported him to Rome, to the center of power, and just had him start preaching and teaching right there. Okay? God could have done that, but we know that's decades away for Paul. So what does Jesus do instead? Well, he goes and he finds this church leader named Ananias, this random guy, <laughs> to come and do the rest of the work with Paul. You look at verse 11. The Lord said to Ananias, Rise and go to this, the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He has seen a vision of a man named Ananias to come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, why does Jesus go and find this random Christian to get into Paul's life? Why does he need the church to do his work for him? Why does Jesus need this person? Because Jesus, throughout this whole story, is teaching Paul and is teaching us that he is the church. The church is him. When he first confronted Paul, Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He doesn't say, Why are you persecuting my church? What does he say? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus so closely identifies with his church. It's his representative on earth from now on. To live this converted life, we need to keep on encountering Jesus. We need to encounter him as much as we possibly can. And the most tangible way we encounter Jesus today is through his people, it's through the church. And this is what Jesus is teaching Paul in this moment. He's saying, to know and follow me is to know and belong to my people. And not just the universal abstract church, like be a part of the church. It's this church, Paul, Damascus. There's a church here. You need them. And just to hammer home the point, Luke adds this detail. Ananias, when he goes to pray with Paul, he lays his hands on him in verse 17. And heals Paul's blindness. Now remember that Luke wrote two books. The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. It's a two-volume. It might be read together. It's a two-volume work. And in Luke's Gospel, almost every time Jesus heals someone, Luke points out, goes out of his way to show that Jesus reached out and laid hands on the people he healed. Ananias does the same thing. And Luke is telling us that from now on, Jesus' compassion and his healing his outreach and his love comes through the church, his representative on earth, and it isn't just a place where healing happens. It's where forgiveness and acceptance happen too. Ananias' first words to Paul, and keep in mind, Ananias knows who Paul is. His first words to Paul, the persecutor of the church and the murderer of his friends. His first words are, "Brother Saul, brother Saul." Welcome to the family. Because anyone who follows Jesus and knows him, no matter what he or she has done is my brother, is my sister. That's what Ananias is saying. And this in a nutshell, Paul experiences in this moment what it means to be converted because in that moment, he realized just how immoral and evil and revolting he truly was spiritually. He just got it. And at the same time, he realized he was more loved and more forgiven and more accepted than he could ever dare hope. That's conversion. And you cannot realize that. You cannot fully believe it. You cannot grasp it and let it change your life until you experience it in the church. It was true for Paul. It's true for us. So have we experienced this? Do we, want, do we have this kind of power here? we want this? If, if Paul needed to be converted, we do too. doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. But don't, don't ever forget this point. This perhaps is the most powerful point of Paul's conversion. If Paul, the worst of sinners, was converted, if he was converted, if he was forgiven, if he was accepted, if he was used by God like this book tells us, then we can be too. Brother Saul, welcome to the family. Conversion has the power to do that for each one of us. Let's pray. Father, for the gift of conversion, for the gift of you interfering with our lives and addressing our real problems and forcing us to reckon with them, we are so thankful. And we are thankful for the gift of your word and your people who strengthen us in times of suffering and persecution, times of loss in our lives. God, may it continue to form us and convert us more and more into who we were created to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.